Hello! Welcome to the season premiere of Spilling Chai on the Pain Gap. I'm your host, Anisha Hussain, and I couldn't be more excited about this season. Not only are we pivoting the video, but unlike past seasons of the show where guests really determined the topic, this season is all about women's health and it features the voices, medical experts, doctors, and feminist advocates that are featured in my book, The Pain Gap, How Sexism and Racism in Healthcare Kill Women. I could not be more excited about the premiere episode because there probably isn't three more uh, important women, not only in my own maternal health advocacy work, but in the larger movement for safe motherhood around the world, both in America and abroad. I'm talking about Christy Turlington Burns, Jenny Joseph, and Dr. Rebecca Gee. The four of us uh, were brought together by Christy when we all uh, appeared on the Giving Birth in America panel, um, which was Every Mother Counts panel at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. And the rest you can say is really history. We haven't shared the same stage or frame since 2019 at the Maternal Health Summit in Louisiana and New Orleans. So I'm so excited about this episode and without further ado, I'm going to quickly read these three incredible women's uh, very shortened bios, which I encourage you to go and look up their work and read their longer full bios. I'm going to start with Chrissy Turlington Burns is the founder of Every Mother Counts. In 2016, EMC was recognized as one of Fast Company Magazine's 10 most innovative not-for-profit companies. Under Christie's leadership, Every Mother Counts has invested nearly $21 million in programs in Africa, Latin America, South Asia, and the United States, focused on making pregnancy and childbirth safe for every mother everywhere. Christy graduated cum laude from New York University's Gallatin School of Independent Studies and studied public health at Columbia University's Mailman School of Public Health. She currently serves on the Yale Nursing School Dean's Leadership Council and the Smithsonian Institute's American Women's History Initiative Advisory Committee. Previously, Christy was on the Harvard Medical School Global Health Council the Harvard School of Public Health Board of Dean's Advisors and the Advisory Board of New York University's Nursing School. See what I mean by you have to go and read their longer bios on your, on your own. There's, there's the accomplishments blow my mind. Jenny Joseph is a British trained midwife who has become one of the world's most respected midwives and authorities on women's health, healthy pregnancies, healthy deliveries, and healthy babies. She's become a true advocate for systemic reform that puts women and babies first in healthcare. Before profit, convenience, and the numerous other reasons America trails behind other developed countries in healthy births. Jenny is the Executive Director of Common Sense Childbirth Inc. and the creator of the JJ Way, a common sense approach designed for women and children. Last but certainly not least, Dr. Rebecca Gee. Dr. Gee is an obstetrician, gynecologist, and CEO of healthcare services for LSU Health. She formerly served as the secretary of the Louisiana Department of Health, the state's largest agency with a budget of $14 billion. While secretary, Dr. Gee oversaw the implementation of Medicaid expansion, which extended coverage to over 500,000 Louisianians. Dr. Gee is a trained health services researcher and created a dashboard demonstrating that access to Medicaid means access to primary and preventive services, not just healthcare coverage. She developed a first in the nation elimination campaign for hepatitis C, spearheaded by her successful drug pricing negotiations and 
these three incredible women are my guests today on Spilling Chai on the Pinkhead. Thank you so much. Enjoy. Okay, well, first of all, thank you guys so much for being here, Christy and Jenny. I am so honored. You guys are so, so special and so important in, in my advocacy work. And of course, you guys are both in the book and have been so instrumental in, in everything. Um, Christy, I want to start with you because you are the force behind bringing us together and Dr. Rebecca Gee as well, who unfortunately couldn't be here today, but really the four of us together. Talk to me about the Giving Birth in America series and um, the role of education and storytelling in advocacy. Great. Thanks, Anushay. It's so great to be with you and Jenny always. Um, you're my inspiration um, in this work every day. But um, yeah, I mean, the organization Every Mother Counts was really founded through storytelling. Uh, uh, the first movie we made called No Woman, No Cry, which Jenny is actually featured in um, as we were trying to explore the maternal health crisis in the United States. Um, and I guess about five years into the organization's lifespan, um, we thought it was important to dig a little deeper into the U.S. maternal um, health crisis. And so we made three short films, a trilogy, um, examining uh, the challenges and the solutions in three states, uh, New York, Florida, and Montana. Um, and I think with the idea that it was an election year when they came out, um, and the idea being that we really wanted to put maternal health sort of front and center in that election. Um, and of course the outcome in 2016 was different than we had anticipated, uh, many of us who have been advocating on behalf of women's health. And so we kind of went straight back in to tell more stories. Uh, we went to Louisiana, which is where I met Dr. Gee um, through that film. And we've since made about six total. Uh, so California, New Mexico, and we're embarking on our seventh Giving Birth in America film um, this year, uh, focusing on the state of Arkansas. Um, so the idea being that there are so many stories to tell um, across this country globally. Um, and so one way of kind of getting closer to the truth, um, trying to really understand the barriers and the challenges that women face when trying to bring life into the world, um, you know, just sort of breaking it down for people so that it feels closer to home um, than it may otherwise. And so, you know, over the past five, six years of making these films, we've had some really great outcomes. Um, Dr. Gee actually hosted a maternal uh, mortality summit in the state of Louisiana after that film came out. Um, we've been on the road as a, as a foursome here, um, you know, really talking about the, these issues, using the films um, sort of to break down the statistics that we are starting to hear more and more about on the front pages of our newspapers and in the news. Um, and so really just trying to get more people to understand, but also to sort of understand um, where their own healthcare um, falls into place and, and to understand who has access, who doesn't have access, to understand the, the horrific health disparities that exist in this country. Um, it's all just a matter of awareness raising and bringing the stories closer so that we feel the same urgency as our sisters, um, neighbors, friends, family members um, in terms of really finding solutions, sustainable solutions for this issue. Yeah, and you know, I, I feel like, I mean, now I feel like there's a lot more awareness around the fact that there is a maternal health crisis at home. But in 2018, when, when the series was first premiered, I mean, I even remember just when you hear giving birth in America, what you imagine it will be. 
and then the reality of what it is, what I thought was so powerful and still think is so powerful about the series. Really quick, Dr. Gee, we can see you. <laughs> and I will come back to you. <laughs> and I'm so glad that, that you joined us. That's awesome. Um, I'm, I'm going to wrap up with Chrissy, then I'm going to go to Jenny and then to you. Can you hear me? I can. Oh, I great. Can. Okay, fantastic. Oh. Hey, pandemic, pandemic production. Um, so Christy, my next, my next question to you is, advocates and experts compare the violence and prejudice that exists between law enforcement and African-Americans um, African as the same discrimination that follows women of color, especially black women, into hospitals and delivery rooms across the country. Um, you guys are all featured in my book, but of course, you know, I love this letter so much. And I'm going to quickly read a little bit from it. Um, in the summer of 2020, leading reproductive justice and childbirth advocacy organizations working for birth, birth justice um, decided to take action. They seized the moment of George Floyd's death to have painful but necessary conversations about race to make the changes needed to save women's lives. In a full page ad that Every Mother Counts had published in the New York Times, a national coalition came together and identified concrete actions to combat racism in maternal health settings and protect childbearing people. An open letter presented a moral question to America. How many black, brown, and indigenous people have to die giving birth? Um, so powerful, I'm gonna try not to cry. But I wanna ask you, and now almost two years later, my gosh, a year and a half later, what was your vision behind behind that, that letter? I mean, it really was, um, it was a moment, right, for the country um, after, uh, after this horrific murder of George Floyd. And in the days after, as we were all sort of sitting in this place of pain and acknowledgement of just how far away <laughs> we were from justice um, on every level, on the most basic level. But really, it just was, I think, such a such a moment in the in the early days of the pandemic and then so many murders, actually, but that particular moment. And then days after there was um, a maternal death in New York, um, a woman named Shaisha Washington. And I was on a call that morning um, or the day after and with some of our partners and we were all just kind of like, I feel like stunned. We, I, like we didn't know where to go. It was like, what do we do and what do we say? And, you know, how do we hold? I mean, like, what's the real question? And it's this piece about accountability in that in that case, um, you know, the, the institution where Shaisha died wasn't coming forth with clear answers or information, not only to the family, but also to the staff and the team that were involved. Um, and it just felt like we, that's what we really need to do. We really need to press. And we have this idea, you know, obviously op-eds are incredibly powerful and yet they're really, really hard to get passed through and to get published. And so we thought we have this moment and opportunity and how do we ensure that we're gonna get the visibility that we believe is so needed in this moment. And so I thought about, um, you know, I thought about an ad. I thought about like, you know, this is something that I feel like has been a powerful tool for communication in the past. And we could guarantee the placement, we could work on the layout. And then, so once we made that decision, then it was a matter of reaching out to 
our partners and folks on the ground who have been fighting for birth justice for years and years and years, um, Jenny being a central voice in that fight. And so um, everyone jumped in very quickly. We, we somehow managed to write and edit a piece, you know, in a relatively short period of time. It's also very hard when you have so many voices and so many, um, you know, different organizations involved. And yet I think it was really that call to, to the communities um, of, you know, we have this opportunity and we have this, you know, we have the support of every mother counts to be able to get this front and center and let's make it happen. And that piece, I mean, um, I'm a huge fan of Representative Underwood, um, who is, you know, one of the leaders, a co-leader of the Black Maternal Health Caucus. And she apparently has this ad on her wall framed. And it gives me so much pride to know that, that this moment um, mattered. And there's been continued um, building upon that call out and demand for birth justice. Um, but there's still so much to do. And uh, you never, I mean, Hopefully in our lifetimes, <laughs> true progress will be made. But um, as Jenny can speak to much more, um, uh, you know, specifically, I would say that there's just like, you cannot put your foot off of the gas with this yes. issue. No, you can't. And what I really loved about it is how it's seamlessly connected. You know, we all get it because we work it with the issue, we work in the field, but seamlessly connecting racial justice and birth justice, which Jenny brings me to you. Um, you are such a pioneer. Not only are you featured in chapter eight alongside uh, Christy and Dr. Gee, but you are actually featured towards the end of the book for pioneering solutions going forward, of course, with the JJ way. Um, I wanted to talk to you about your historic school for midwives, because of course, as you know, black women and immigrant women played such a big role in bringing midwifery, the practice to the US, but of course, over the years have been pretty much erased from it. So talk to me about your uh, first black owned and federally credited midwifery school in America. Yes, thank you. I'm still excited. It's almost like a dream come true. In 2020, we were able to become accredited. We've been running the school for 10 years at that point, but the national accreditation through the Department of Education was really a pivotal moment for us in that it felt, we felt really strongly that it was necessary to create access through an outside of a university setting or a particular college setting that you had access to this training, which for you know, centuries has truly belonged to the community. We are training community midwives, community providers, because those are the very people who have sustained communities over millennia. And you're right, in the United States, early United States, it was the, um, the African enslaved midwives, it was the immigrant midwives, the indigenous practitioners, and those were the people who delivered each other, everybody, right? So midwifery is how you were born. Um, but as we've Americanized midwifery and the power dynamics have switched and on purpose as well, it wasn't by accident that midwifery has been erased. I mean, even now after many decades of struggle to re, you know, to bring midwifery back, we are at 10% of the birthing population of the United States. And that really is heartbreaking because if you go anywhere else in the rest of the entire world, midwifery is the normal um, practice and the providers of obstetric care for all people. So we um, are thrilled that we got the school up and running. We are going great guns. We have 25 
students enrolled in our current cohorts, um, diverse students, students across all um, socioeconomic as well as all races and ethnicities, um, and gender identities. We are so excited because we know that our communities are best served by people from those communities who have a heart and who are trusted inside of those communities, are chosen inside of those communities. So yeah, midwifery, we feel like is an answer to these outrageous and egregious health disparities that continue to show up, that have America practically dead last as in industrialized countries. And we know that when we um, re-empower people, then we can address not only their health, but justice at the same time. Yes, exactly. And I talk to me about the doula training that you guys you're currently offering, but also the JJ way going virtual, which initially I think was panic for everybody, but you say yeah. you're actually quite happy with. Yes, we provide a model of care, a midwifery model called the JJ way. And we do train midwives, doulas, community health workers, lactation educators, and so on. And across these disciplines, what we found is that telehealth and telemedicine is actually a really powerful and a safe way to provide that quality and that equity in the care. So when the pandemic hit, we were able to pivot and provide the same services, the support, the education, the listening, just hearing a person explain their concerns and getting it off their chest is protective and makes all the difference to their outcome. And so all of our trainings and all of our practitioners are employing telehealth now. And we realize that this is a modality that helps us reach even more people. We are able to scale our programs now because of the ability to provide telehealth. We make sure that mothers and families have kits at their home where they can take their own blood pressure, listen to their baby's heartbeat themselves, check their weight, check their urine. We have found a way to really marry um, you know, remote care, virtual maternity care, as we call it, the JJ way, as well as the usual way of providing on-site in-person care. And we're getting the outcomes. And that gives me so much joy. Oh, that gives me so much joy hearing you talk about it, Jenny. <laughs> this is like cleansing for the soul. Um, Dr. Gee, you're here. Thank you so much. Only you uh, can pop on. Are you still recovering? You're still recovering, aren't you? From COVID? Yeah, yeah, I had tired, but I'm also a parent of five kids. So that could also be. <laughs> you had no option. Well, I won't take up too much of your time. It's actually perfect because you were going to be, uh, you're, you're right on time. You were going to be the third person I went to. So my question for you is, you know, we know, I think we can all answer what we think the state of women's health is or give our perspective. But what is your medical perspective on the current state of women's health in America? Um, so I'll give you a medical word. It sucks. It's awful. Um, you know, as, as physicians, we spend four years learning how to say things in a way that people don't understand so that they think we're really important. <laughs> but I mean, there's no, there's no finessing where we are. It's bad. We, you know, when the Secretary of Health from Brazil was in the U.S., you know, my former role was Secretary of Health, where I led the health department and I led a variety of initiatives to improve quality. And he put his data up to mine and ours was worse. And here we are in one of the wealthiest, if not the wealthiest country on this planet. And women are dying. Um, you've heard Jenny and Christy so eloquently say what some of the problems are. So we have a long way to go. We need to support our women and girls. They need to be a much greater priority. 
And whether it's the state of women's health research, I mean, why don't we know, for example, one thing that's nearly universal in women's lives is, is childbirth. Why don't we know what causes labor? Um, why don't we know um, better, why don't we have better treatments for the things that happen to women in pregnancy? And then why aren't we doing the studies? Why aren't we doing studies of medications in pregnancy to make sure we can safely uh, treat uh, the conditions, including mental health conditions women face? Why aren't we doing research on better contraceptives? How come the best new thing was developed in the 1970s, i.e. the IUD? That's not a new technology. Um, and, and why are women, um, and then to the policy and kind of personal issues that women face, how, how come we don't have paid family leave in this country? Why don't we have pay equity in this country? Why uh, are women dying? You know, when we, we were able to reduce maternal morbidity by 60%, and I'm really proud of that. We focused on health equity, we focused on racism as a driver, and we made a big change. But the bottom line is the leading cause of death in Louisiana is intimate partner violence, women being murdered um, and victims of violence. Why aren't we addressing this as a society? So there's, there are just so many issues that get shoved under the rug that are so consequential for women and girls. And um, I am so honored to be with you, Anishé, Christy, and Eugenie, because you're, you're brave women changing this. But what has to happen in my view is women have to be at the table we have to spill more chai. Uh, we have to have more conversations. Um, and we have to be leading where the investments are going. We have to be leading the discussions because there is a long way. And then just to, to finish up, I mean, if we think about the state of reproductive rights, um, you know, I grew, I was born in 1975 and I was born at a time and grew up in a time where we thought, you know, feminism wasn't a cool word. And you know, we've just made it and it wasn't cool to be a feminist when I was growing up. And, and, and I think we see where that went. I mean, women haven't spoken up. Um, doctors haven't spoken up. There's been a slow and steady stampede on women's rights in terms of our ability to decide our reproductive future. And this has led to, you know, a recent Texas bill that allows, you know, family member against family member, community member against community member, vigilantes running around trying to, you know, um, penalize women and their practitioners and trusted providers for making a choice um, that's important to them and may even save their life in, in, in many cases. And so it's not a great time, but as Gloria Steinem so um, beautifully said to me, uh, when I got to meet her, when, when I saw the, the preview of her film at Sundance about her incredible life, you know, it's great to be old because you remember when it was worse. So when I get frustrated, I think about, I am the great, great granddaughter of a Mormon prophet. I think about what my grandmother's vistas were and what my mother's vistas were, and they were much more narrow than what mine have been. And my girls' opportunities will be endless and bountiful. And we are here talking about these issues so that we can change them for our girls. And I have uh, endless optimism about where we can be. But there's a lot of work to do. We're yeah. not where we are. And, um, and so we have to be in the, hall, in the halls of justice, in the halls of the legislature. Um, you know, when I started as secretary, 11% of our elected officials were women. 11%. So, so until women's voices are equal at the table, um, we, we've got to continue to, to fight for progress. And, and that's exactly what 
all three of you are doing, and it's an honor to be with you today. Well, that brings me to uh, my next question, and then I'm going to have a last question for everybody and wrap things up. But talk to me about your exciting new uh, healthcare company and what you're doing to to you know have a, a intervene to help save women's lives. Sure. So I'm the parent of five kids. This this company comes out of my personal journey, having difficulty managing five children's healthcare, and my husband who wouldn't get healthcare, you know, unless I shoved him out the door, made the appointment, and <laughs> told him when it was. So, um, but mostly I think thinking through the lives of low-income women and how challenging it is. Most low-income families are single mother families. Single mothers have a really hard time managing their own appointments, their own health, their kids, different pediatricians, different locations, um, and a healthcare system that frankly doesn't treat them very well. A healthcare system that doesn't respect and um, have, have um, the types of attitudes about patients I think we should have. And it, uh, for example, I was in North Louisiana a few years ago and someone said to me, I don't want Medicaid women in my waiting room because I don't like how the waiting room looks with them in it. So just imagine being a mother trying to navigate that and then being treated that way and seen that way just to try to get your child and your self-care. So I created Nest Healthcare. It's a primary care company for Medicaid families and we're bringing the care to the family. So if you wanna get care at home, at church, um, at a place where it's convenient for you, we'll take care of your kids, we'll take care of you. We'll make sure that we reduce barriers for you. We'll help you navigate social services and we're investing in pregnancy through age five because the, the brain development from birth to five is 80% of brain development. And we've got to make sure we are investing in our children. But to do that, and I think we make a mistake here, to do that, we have to invest in the mothers and the parents. Um, because healthy, happy mothers make healthy, health, happy, healthy kids. So anyway, I'm excited about it. There is not a single other startup company in this country focused on Medicaid children, if you can believe it. I, it was hard for me to believe. And wow. I think these notions, I know that Jenny knows from being training in England that we don't just, in other countries on this earth, we don't just you know, say, okay, let's have a baby. We'll take money for that. And then I hope you do well. Maybe we'll see you at the postpartum visit, but good luck. I hope you figure it all out on your own. No home visit, no helpers, no anyone, you know, but if you want to come to our clinic, great. But think about how hard that is with newborn, in my case, babies. I had twins. I mean, bringing, whenever I had to get, have an appointment, take both babies, get them in the, in the car. They might get, um, so anyway, I think, um, this is all um, something that's solvable, and I'm excited to be working on it. Well, I love that you said that because that is my hope too on days when I just, you know, don't want to get out of bed, <laughs> is that I feel like the pandemic is giving us a really big opportunity and kind of showing everyone that it is solvable. That's one of my favorite things about working on this issue, that it's not rocket science. It is solvable. We have the resources. Do we have the will? Are women's, is women's health and women's rights a priority? That's another question. But to wrap up, I want each of us just quickly say, what is giving us hope? Because that's giving me hope. You know, the opportunity that the pandemic is giving us. And Christy, I'll throw to you and then Jenny will wrap up. Oh, I think you're on mute. Um, I would say collaboration. And we've just had a team meeting earlier today. And I think, again, given that we are all in this sort of still remote working um, scenario, 
um, we really had to lean in to our partners and our team members to really have clear and good communication um, to really sort of draw from the strengths and skills around us. Um, not any one of us can do this work alone. And I think really recognizing um, the value that each individual committed to making the world a better place brings um, to every room, to every table, to every Zoom conversation. Um, so I, I really view all of you as, as collaborators and partners and, and I, I, I love to do this work with you and you inspire me. Thank you, Christy. Will you inspire me? And Rebecca, you missed it in the beginning, but I was talking about how Christy is the one, right, who's responsible for bringing us all together. So Jenny, what is what is giving you hope? Your school, your doula training is giving me so much hope. It is, but you know what's giving me greater hope is I'm feeling the movement swell and grow. Um, I'm feeling the we've got some momentum, like we're picking up speed and are we at that tipping point? I'm hopeful that we are because once we go over, it's done. Like there's not, all of the solutions are here. Everybody who's on board already knows and understands what to do. Yes, we need more awareness in the general public, but we can get this done. So I am so hopeful and encouraged because I feel the power showing up. And our work was always about building a movement. Um, you know, we say things such as building a movement to um, you know, to birth a more just and loving world. I feel like we're close. I feel like we could do it. Never felt so strongly about it as I do now. Oh, I love that. Me too, Jenny. I love you. Thank you. All right, Dr. Gee, what do you think? The three of you. I mean, I have to say, <laughs> I, it's, it's my, my friendships with women, the strength that I have from other women, including my own girls who are so much smarter. They will be so much smarter than I will. They already understand things that, that I, that I didn't at their age. And so it's about, I, it's about uh, we, and also, frankly, we're coming out of this pandemic with a better sense of ourselves and each other of social justice, of equity, the, the tides have changed. And I, I know that we will continue to make progress and uh, the, you, you three are powerful. I draw energy from you and hope from you. And um, you know, I'm just very optimistic that that our, our world will continue to improve. And uh, it's been an honor to be with you today. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you were able to join. Thank you all so much for your time. Thank you. I will speak to you guys soon. Stay safe. <laughs> Bye guys, more chai soon. Thank you so much. Bye. -bye. Bye.